The Apprenticeship of Giuseppe Lupo Written by Yusef L. Deeb Narrated by Jason Melnichuk Chapter 5 Julia's Revelations Dear Reader, After these few sessions with Gio, and here I am referring to the previous chapters, when we learned of his boyhood journey to Canada, my memory presented me with something that I had forgotten. By this, I mean my brief, sloppy meeting with Julia, his pretty young daughter. I decide to track her down, this mysterious girl, and review the story of young Geo with her. She had, after all, volunteered to check what tall tales her father Giuseppe Lupo had told me, and fill in all of the missing pieces of his story. She had confided in me, You're such a cretino. One day I might just tell you great details that he would have left out or missed, okay? I have a suspicion that there is much more to this family than is readily apparent. His story and her mysterious vagueness intrigue me. As I soon come to appreciate, she seems to be one of those women who clearly understands and values the importance of crafting and managing a mystery around herself. We made a date to meet at the Live Wire, a small bar around the corner from my university faculty. I should correct myself and say, our university, since I soon learn that she is also enrolled there but in a different field of study. She studies classical fine arts, such as charcoal drawing and painting. My previous studies before I specialized, whereas my film academy is in a completely different building, which explains why I had not noticed her before. The Live Wire has a bar that is shaped like a long, narrow, and deep cavern. At the front, there is an overwhelming shiny oak bar that takes up most of the space. However, around the back, there are six evenly spaced apart pinball machines lined up in a row. They always remind me of the Easter Island Moai statues, tall and majestic. This is where a group of us students spend the best part of our university years in a daily competition of flipping steel balls while slowly sipping tepid beer, a reflection of the short extent of our meager student entertainment budget. I first notice her when it's my turn to play. She's sitting at the far end of the bar, watching us play, and she seems slightly amused. In between my plays, I glance and see her smile at me. She is in a thick, chestnut-colored fur coat that appears to be selected to complement her auburn hair. She is not dressed in the same way I'm used to seeing the other students dress. She looks like she's attending a special occasion. Mid-turn, I ask my friends to carry on without me, and when they see her, they jab me unashamedly as boys tend to do when they are jealous or impressed, or both. I head to where she's sitting and climb the stool next to hers. I notice her hands and note how they are wrapped around a coffee mug, hugging it. I'm embarrassed by the nearly empty glass of beer that I place on the bar. I can smell the perfume she is wearing. I am auto-thinking two opposing thoughts. I am not good enough for her, and I could easily melt into her. Now, all that I can think of are my clothes and my financial situation. You see, I live on a single pair of jeans that I sometimes wash overnight 
when I am not at my midnight job, the one that affords me to go to film school. I know that she is absolutely out of my league. There is a dollar and a half in my pocket. Yet all these thoughts, rather than shake me up to a cold and harsh reality, are swept aside by the scent of her very subtle perfume. It overwhelms me, makes me forget all of these thoughts as if I am under the spell of a snake charmer. I look at her and muster the courage to speak. I am about to make a fool of myself. That I am sure of. I will tell her the reason for our meeting, but she senses my feeble attempt to hide a stutter before I can do so. She looks at me, sees me fidget, and giggles. Cretino, you're so susceptible, she tells me under her breath, intimately as if to make sure no one can hear her. She sips her coffee slowly, carefully, preciously, always tightly hugging the mug with her two hands. I think you believe anything anyone tells you, she continues. Hey, relax. Tell me what he has told you so far. Let's fix any calcification. I show her the assignment papers. Gio's story, starting with the days of his mother Violetta's sandwiches, which are, as you remember, the colors of the Italian flag. Green cilantro, red tomatoes, and white mozzarella cheese. The story carries on in these papers, all the way up to falling asleep, looking at Life magazines, his arrival to Canada, the story of his funeral as a baby, and his school-bullying incident. I see her chuckle at some passages, and laugh out loud at other pages. She finishes reading, puts the papers down, and places her coffee mug on them, as if to hold them down. But it seems to me that this placement of the cup on my work somehow relegates it to history. Listen, Bakshish, can't you see it? He hides the truth, don't you get it? He's actually an orphan. Well, an orphan of sorts, she tells me. And hold on to your seat. He's actually half Italian and half Egyptian. I thought you'd get that when he called you back sheesh, but you assumed that he'd learned it from a touristic visit to Cairo. He actually grew up in Alexandria. She pauses and looks into my eyes for a reaction. I can tell that she's deeply amused by her revelations and how they will impact me and my writing. My mind is racing. How will I rewrite all that I've struggled over so far? More than that, how am I supposed to have figured this all out? But he pretends he's genuine Italian. It triggers fewer questions here in Canada, like, Oh, you're from Egypt? The one with the pyramids? Did you grow up in a tent? Where is your camel? I reach for my papers, thinking I'd look and see what I can salvage, but she puts a hand on mine to stop me. It's the first time she has let go of her coffee cup. And so, Bakshish, you get it? I'm Egyptian as well. A single heartbeat sounds, and a life's single arrow shoots forth. It's labeled Geo, and it's a slot machine guess where the arrow will land. A cosmic, random number generator dictates that the arrow land in Alexandria, at an orphanage for boys. <laughs> ¶¶